Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, Our guest on today's podcast, joining me via Zoom from her home in Salt Lake City, is Catherine Knight Sontag. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I became aware of Catherine because she was on a Faith Matters podcast that I think was released in about April of 2022 talking about Catherine's new book called The Mother Tree, Discovering the Love and Wisdom of Our Divine Mother. Um, Terrific podcast. Many of the people in my life have mentioned to me that podcast. And the the podcast hosts, Tim and Aubrey Chavez, reached out to me and said, Catherine would be a great guest for this podcast um, to introduce especially her new book and her feelings about Divine Mother. Um, so here we are doing this podcast, and uh, as I visited with Catherine before we got started, a terrific woman with wonderful insights, and I will be learning things in this podcast that probably you will be learning as I'm better at trying to understand this space and and how it can help me and help the people around me, both um, men and women, to better understand our Divine Mother. Um, tell Is that okay for an introduction, Catherine? That's great. Will you give us a little background? I've shared with our listeners you live in salt lake city you grew up in salt lake city or you're in your late 30s but give our listeners a little more of your background sure so i've been in the east mill creek area for most of my life um i grew up in the house that uh, my father uh, designed which was really fantastic and um loved going to the mountains and going to mill creek canyon Uh, We had a little cabin up in the mountains, and that was always an incredible source of um, imaginative play and introspection and just really reveling in the beauty. Um, And that was a really important piece of my childhood and framing sort of what was important to me and what I cherished. Um, As a child, I really thrived um, in creative pursuits. I loved music and drawing and writing poetry and reading and um, really found an imaginative realm in nature that I think really keyed into a larger spiritual sensibility um, that helped me see that my reality wasn't just necessarily what I could see or touch or hear that there was another dimension to the world and a way in which my thoughts and my creative processes could help create my reality. And um, I think from a pretty young age, I felt uh, a sensitivity to um, spirits, specifically in trees. I was always very drawn to trees and to the image of the tree of life. Um, From the Book of Mormon specifically, I really fell in love with that image and felt like it held held more than I could grasp as a young child, that there was something about it that was pulsing and alive and real that transcended time. And um, so I I, I kind of sat with that for many years, and it wasn't really until recently that I, I understood why that was. So... In high school, I became very interested in environmental activism and poetry. I think sort of my sensitivity to the beauty of the world went hand in hand with understanding how it was being degraded. And um, that was heartbreaking 
to me as a young child. I mean, I remember writing a poem <laughs> in elementary school about Mother Earth and sort of begging us to like reconsider how we approach her and treat her. Um, so those those loves of, of writing and, and the natural world led me to study English and environmental studies at the University of Utah. And uh, then I went on, I took a little break and served a mission in Italy. And that was a really fantastic um, and pivotal moment in my life. I think I, I came to understand God in a way that I would never have imagined possible and the connection that um, would be necessary for me to continue on my path and to um, really progress. I came back and I studied, uh, did my master's in landscape architecture and environmental planning at Utah State. Um, I really wanted to do something that could allow me to have a positive influence on the land. Um, writing poetry itself is wonderful, but it sort of um, doesn't always connect you physically to spaces. And I wanted that kind of connection. And I was really lucky that in that work, I was able to study the tree of life. So for my master's thesis, I studied the role of transcendence in landscapes. And the tree of life was one of the sacred symbols that I studied. And I really began to see through understanding that it was an archetypal symbol. So a symbol that transcends space and time, holds meaning cross-culturally, pre-modern, post-modern, in all contexts, um, that there was something about that symbol that, that was very relevant to me spiritually. And I began to see that um, it was an image and still is an image that is used to talk about a threefold structure of the cosmos. So it's just a very basic idea that uses the different parts of the tree to um, illustrate the different realms of existence. So for the root zone, it represents the underworld or the realm of the dead. The trunk represents earth or mortality and the branches above represent heaven. And so you see in many different cosmologies, whether it's Norse or Celtic or Mayan, um, you see sort of the tree used to talk about these different realms and the movement between the realms. And you also see the tree as a divinely feminine figure. So there were these connections that were coming into play for me. And I um, really began to understand that the tree was, was asking me to um, seek my truest self, that there was this sense of the tree showing me that there was a way to transcend and to move through these realms and to seek higher learning and wisdom in the branches and to also use that wisdom in mortality. So you think about the way that a tree, a biological tree, it brings sunlight in, creates sugars that feeds the tree, and then the roots pump the water up through the branches. So there's this upward and downward cycling of, of, of energy and sugars and water through the tree. And there was a really beautiful um, movement in that too, in the mythological interpretation of the tree of using the wisdom of the ancestors to inform your, your, your current state, your mortal state, and then also that informing your vision of heaven. What does that vision look like based on the wisdom you gather in your embodied state and based on sort of the wisdom of the ancestors? Um, 
And so that became a really incredible uh, source of imagination itself, right? That you can sort of play with this image and think about your own place in space and time and what that means. Um, and so as I was doing these studies, I, was, I became familiar with Margaret Barker as well, who is a biblical scholar uh, who has done incredible work looking at temple theology. She's a Methodist, but she has looked at the ancient temples, specifically the first temple in Jerusalem, and uh, looking at the Hebrew goddess Asherah, who was the consort of El, and her connection to the tree of life and menorah in that first temple. And I found her scholarship to be very fascinating and very um, poignant and um, very much in line with a lot of my LDS uh, theology. So this leads up to about the time I got married. Um, Actually, my husband introduced me to Margaret Barker, which was really fantastic. Cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And around a couple of years later, um, I was entering, we bought a new home and we were sort of entering the phase of settling down and I became pregnant with my first child and really entered into this new dimension of myself that was unexpected. Um, you know, I, I knew that pregnancy would bring all sorts of changes, physical changes, emotional changes, etc. But I, I didn't expect it to have this sort of Uh, the power to open up a new dimension that was also symbolic. I felt myself like the tree of life becoming a bridge between these realms. So being able to access the realm above the heavens by bringing us a spirit um, to the earth and bringing that that child forth into a different realm, into the mortal realm. And so this connection was really astounding to me. And um, at the same time, I was realizing that this was a a side of myself that I couldn't really talk about uh, with my husband. It just wasn't something that he could ever grasp. And I felt myself wanting to have a lot of women around me, wanting to create a community to share that wisdom and um, to really get into you know, what this meant, like, what does this really mean that we are these, these symbols, um, these uh, bridges between heaven and earth. And I'd like, if I could just to read a a small paragraph from my book that. Please do. A little bit about this experience. As I awoke to the reality of mother God, while carrying my first child, I felt myself moving toward a vast unknown. I was in awe of the new dimension of myself being revealed by pregnancy. What did it mean to be a vessel between the eternal and mortal realms? I marveled at its cosmic cosmic and simultaneously intimate reach, as I also felt incredibly daunted by the unknown in a way I never had before. I wanted to understand more profoundly how I resemble my mother. I was embarking into uncharted territory and realized that a great deal of trust and resolve on my part would be necessary in order to find myself and God again. I felt what I can only describe as a call compelling me toward the symbol of the mother tree. That's great. 
So at that time, I was uh, also very interested in the symbolic connection, but also just the idea of trees, <laughs> that the natural world had always felt like something I could access spiritually very easily. Like anytime I went on a hike, especially in solitude, when I would be out there, I would feel immediate relief in terms of whatever difficulty I was facing or questions I had or problems I would bring to the mountain that it didn't, they didn't necessarily have to be resolved, but there was a sense of acknowledgement of my presence and um, that, that, that sort of acknowledgement in nature was enough, was enough to soothe me and enough to help me feel seen and and that I was a part of something much larger and, and bring things into perspective in a way that really nothing else has been able to. And so at that time, I began to do some work around feminism, trying to understand what equality would really look like. What does it really mean? And uh, what, what does it mean to be a woman in a time of ecological unraveling? Because I was really beginning to see connections that other scholars had made between women and the earth, that what has been done to the land is being done to women. Mm -hmm. And the connection of um, sort of nature and, and the feminine being connected in a way that had made it um, well, that had essentially made it so that it was something to be dominated and controlled rather than worked with and understood. And so I was very interested in this. I started a, I became a part of an intersectional feminist book club and really wanted to sink my teeth into anything that I could read and to really understand because it wasn't something I grew up being super aware of. I, I feel like I grew up in a home where my father was very egalitarian. He was very, you know, he encouraged us to think for ourselves, to be critical thinkers, to engage with the world, you know, to do higher education and to go out and explore the world and all of these things. So I felt very lucky in that sense, but I began to realize that there were many ways in which I had um, been treated differently simply because I was female. And so that became a really critical part of this discovery, understanding some of the reasons why our removal from nature is so harmful spiritually, as well as emotionally, um, reading studies about the healing power of nature and how removal from the natural world causes anxiety and depression and uh, looking at sort of the cyclical nature of the natural world and how growth and development and rest and these cycles of life, death, life are intrinsic to how nature operates. And to say that we are outside of nature is just simply a false construct. We are a part of nature. We need that rest. We need that acknowledgement that we can't have production all the time in our lives. We can't be expected to um, always be, be producing and I, our economic systems aren't doing well because we're, we're projecting that sort of need and false paradigm um, into the world in that sense. So all of this brought me to a lot of different, a lot of different ways of knowing, right? So I had this embodied sense that 
being a mother, being a vessel between heaven and earth, bringing souls onto the, onto the planet, into this mortal realm, that there was something, uh, a wisdom in that embodiment that I was just barely tapping into. Then there was the intellectual knowing that I was gaining from scholars like Margaret Barker. And uh, I was bringing all of these together um, in a book of poetry called The Tree at the Center. And that was um, what sort of was the way that I alchemized all of these different ways of knowing. And I did some scholarship as well, published a, a couple of articles, one with dialogue and presented those articles and really began to see the mother as really not just sort of a nice addition or a needed addition, but very central to our theology and a needed and missing um, piece that really connected my idea of worship to the temple in a, in a whole new way. So I was very lucky to have Faith Matters uh, reach out to me and um, to pursue an idea of a book that could be uh, very accessible to many people, sort of taking us through who the mother is and why she's necessary and how we can form a, a greater relationship with her. And so that was the mother tree that just came out this year. And um, it was a really incredible experience for me to write that book. I used the tree to form our, our discussion, our journey, if you will, through the whole book. So we begin in the realm of the roots, talk about what it is, how we access the mother there, what she's trying to teach us there, how, and then moving to the realm of the trunk. And then finally to the crown, while always emphasizing that this is very cyclical, right? We don't just move in a linear progression that we're asked to go back down into the realm of the roots time and time again. And this realm is essentially a, the, the place of introspection, the place of looking into our own hearts, looking into the, the wisdom of our ancestors, looking into um the pain that we carry and really allowing ourselves to feel it and for it to teach us. And in that way to create bonds with those we love and with the earth and with our ancestors, because through pain, we know that we were able to, to have compassion by experiencing our own difficulties. We're able to reach out to others and love and extend ourselves. Um, and that that sort of time that we take to think and to meditate and to ponder and to pray and to really allow ourselves to feel is what opens our hearts to be able to manifest in the world in a way that is Christ-like, a way that is healing, a way that is vulnerable. And I think that if we're willing to do that and to continue to do that, right? that that's when our eyes are opened to celestial visions, um, Zion, visions of Zion, right? Where we can see what does it really look like to be living um, as equals, one heart, one mind? Um, what does that really look like? I think that's part of the difficulty, right? Is having a vision of that. I think we we have to 
collectively move in that direction together, but also um, doing that introspective work, I think really helps us to, to have that imaginative realm be realized um, here and now. So I began to find the mother in scripture, which was huge for me. It was a huge revelation. Thank you to Margaret Barker and other scholars who really have spent their whole lives looking at translations and learning the ancient languages and seeing places where um, it was very clear that things have been changed, that there are things missing, that there are pronouns that have been changed. Um, the book of Proverbs is where I found the mother most directly named there as wisdom, capital W, a feminine um, personification, and also with, so, so wisdom and the tree of life used interchangeably. The book of wisdom, also known as the book of Solomon, was a, a beautiful um, book to study. I see echoes of her in Isaiah and Hosea, the Book of Mormon. Daniel C. Peterson did a fantastic article called Nephi and his Asherah, which really connected um, that tree image that Nephi and Lehi see to the mother of the temple, to Asherah, who would have been known to them and would have been placed in the Holy of Holies of the temple. Um, the Book of Weeks, the Book, the Apocalypse of Enoch, so a lot of apocryphal extra canonical books that um, put all together and seen beautifully through the lens of Margaret as she sort of um, spent all this time weaving things together has really been just eye-opening. I, I began this journey thinking, oh, there's, there's just hardly anything, right? There's just not anything known to us really revealed. And I've come to see that um, we're actually not in a desert, <laughs> that there's a lush forest of feminine wisdom and a landscape of the feminine in scripture, but it's been obscured and purposefully in many cases. And so we really have to do that work, um, I think. And I think this is beautiful in a, in a lot of ways because I think this is uh, very indicative of the mother that. She, for me, she represents this holy, holy space. She represents the most sacred of sacred. And we really do have to qualify ourselves in some regard to, to receive the, the answers that she has to give, to receive the light and wisdom that she has to give. And so really going on that journey of study and prayer and meditation and having patience and, and moving through it. Um, cycling through it has really been incredibly rewarding and gratifying and um, has led me to an understanding of the gospel that um, I would never have guessed I could have, even as a return missionary. It's, um, been so incredibly enriching and brought me to a greater understanding of who I am. So I'm just, I'm incredibly grateful that uh, Faith Matters reached out to me and that I could have the experience of writing this book. I mean, just putting these thoughts together and everything that I've learned and framing a sort of 
feminine ascension path for people, whether, however you identify, right? This book just isn't for women. Um, it's talking about discovering feminine aspects of a self and balancing that with masculine, the masculine aspects of a self, because I think, I think it's clear for many that those elements and those, those aspects have been out of balance from the individual level all the way to a political, you know, it's just the way that we've valued the masculine over the feminine has made it so that the masculine itself is toxic and out of balance and for many people not trustworthy. And so bringing the feminine back into the discussion, opening a space for women to express themselves and share their stories and valuing and validating their spirituality, um, I think opens the door for men to also uh, look inside themselves and discover what is uniquely feminine about them and to love it and to honor it and to know that Christ did that, right? Like that's, that's the source of my deep love for Jesus is that he balanced those aspects of self so perfectly. Um, I'd love to read one more portion from my book if I can. Um, this is just from the, the last chapter in The Crown, and it's about sort of the joy of connectivity that we find in the height of ascent. And this chapter focuses a lot on how much we need each other and how interconnected we are and the joy that comes from sharing each other's sorrows. I think that, uh, I think I've felt this especially because I've been a mom working from home and raising two young boys in suburbia, <laughs> <laughs> the sense of being sort of siloed and disconnected that we're all, um, living very individualized lives. Um, and the kind of village life or communal life of maybe my grandparents just doesn't really exist anymore. And that's been difficult. I've felt since I was young, a real desire to know other people well, to have an intimacy, you know, like understanding what was your life story? What wisdom did you learn? Learn like how just having multiple guides through your journey and you know, young men's and young women's, they serve a purpose, they're helpful, but I, at least in my, in my culture, right, in Utah, <laughs> I felt like there was definitely taboo around getting too personal, getting too intimate, um, being too vulnerable, and I just wanted the relief <laughs> of being able to be wholly myself in front of someone and have it accepted. I think I just, like I knew down deep, that's what God was and that's what Zion was. And um, I really always longed for that. So at the, this chapter then talks about for me, what the mother has led me to in terms of, 
my vision. Through the whisperings of Lady Wisdom, I have come to see enlightenment as intimacy with all things. My covenant, my covenant, my covenantal commitment to mourn with those who mourn and to comfort those who stand in need of comfort is the only path to illumination and thus joy. For it is only in going to the place of sorrow with those who are sorrowing that I can truly mourn with. It is a joining of sorrows, a weaving of roots, a tender turning to each other that bears the fruit of love. Seeing ourselves in each other, my sorrow as your sorrow, yours as mine, is love. And in that love is the only joy. This kind of joining is the only path to knowing Mother and Father God. And that knowing is life eternal. That knowing is joy. With all that the tree symbolizes, immortality, the divine center and source of life, sustenance of life, life everlasting, wisdom, the abode of the gods, the ascent of the soul, we learn what it means to uncover our true identities, to be healed and whole, sovereign children of the Divine Father and the Divine Mother. Access to this path of healing is offered to us through the grace of Christ's atonement, which is the result of the fully integrated love and power of the feminine and masculine powers of creation and being. As children of God, it is in our nature to seek soul work and communion. The essence of goodness inside each of us yearns for the wisdom of our mother, for unity and love, because we know intuitively, instinctually, that we are nothing alone. Without love, we are nothing. Without connection, we are unable to feel. It is only through others that we learn patience, sorrow, anger, frustration, and regret. When we choose to love, we choose to move against fear, against alienation and separation. The choice to love is a choice to connect, to find ourselves in the other. The mother teaches me that love is the fabric of creation, the only true power and authority. I feel this truth reverberate inside me, and I consider creation made of the same love that literally runs through each of us. Wow, that's terrific. I'm just so deeply moved by everything you've said so far. I don't want to I don't want to say anything. I just want to keep you keep talking. Do you have more things you want to share? I think um really just that I I felt like this work has been I remember looking at the uh the last version of the book before it went to the printer and really having this prayer in my heart, because I, you know, it's a, it's a sensitive topic, right? There's a lot of feelings Mm -hmm. (laughs) around um, engaging with the idea of mother God. And I had a prayer in my heart as I was reading, like, please, I, I need to know if this is acceptable to you, God, like I need to know. And I just had this um, incredible feeling of warmth and love move through my body. And, um, and as I was reading, I was realizing that the book is smarter than I am. <laughs> That's cool. 
that there's like a wisdom to it that um, is beyond me. And I think I'm, I'm used to this quote unquote, in the sense that I write a lot of poetry. I, I paint, I, I play music and I'm used to like the alchemy that happens with creative pursuits. Like it's magic in the sense that you bring, like you bring your soul and you bring your wisdom and you bring your gifts, but what you produce is greater than the parts. Like there's a divinity that runs through it that um, you're there to channel that you're open to, but it's not yours. And I felt that with this book, but it was more meaningful to me than anything I'd ever produced. Right. Like um, it's had this really strong sense that it was something I was, I was meant to write. And um It's astounding, right? Like it's astounding. It, it felt a lot like coming home from my mission, like this sense that like I had done what God had asked me to do. And there was a lot of relief and rejoicing in that. So I'm just, I'm really grateful that um, I can share this testimony because that's what it is. It's my testimony that the mother has awakened in me a deeper way of engaging with the world and of knowing myself and of loving. And I know she can do the same for anyone who seeks her. I'm just deeply moved, Catherine. Um, listeners, you know, I don't do a lot of prep ahead of time before a guest. We don't talk for an hour before we um, start a podcast. So I'm hearing a lot of this like you are perhaps for the first time. And Catherine, I'm just deeply moved. I wish I had heard this kind of content much earlier in my life. It would have helped me. Um, as a father, as a husband, as a priest, a leader, as a male Latter-day Saint, it would help me in my profession. Um, this is just an area where um, listening to female voices, the female divine, um, is an area where I am not very strong <laughs> and don't have the right vocabulary. Just as It's a space that I'm not as familiar with, but I recognize the fruits of everything you're talking about have brought so much joy in your life and so much healing and Zion and unity. And um, whether we use mother, divine mother or heavenly mother, you've used a few terms that are beautiful to describe her. I love the way you're bringing the blessings of her um, and her attributes that are in the presence of men and women, to your point, to help unify us, bring wholeness, bring vulnerability, um, get us out of our silos you talked about. Um, there's a deep spirituality just listening to you and, and feeling your spirit. I also love your journey with nature and somehow your own personal spiritual journey to do this the way it works for you. Some it's very formula, some it's sort of like this is how you have spiritual experience and it's very, and I love the culture, you reference your father, but I think it's partly you that just had enough self-awareness of this is how it works for me. And um, going up Mill Creek Canyon and being around trees um, and writing poetry um, is part of what makes it work for me from a spiritual perspective, just 
So that's a part of our story for your younger listeners, for, for all of us, that's helpful. Um, just that we're all on our individual journeys to figure out the best way to connect spiritually. I love the art artwork on the front of your book. It is a tree, listeners. We'll link to um, we'll link to the Amazon link in the show notes. So if you want to get a copy of the book, you can get it at Amazon. We'll also link to Catherine Knight Sontag's website. That's with a K and a K. Catherine Knight, both with K's Sontag dot com. We'll link to that. So you can also um, there's another book you referenced about poetry that was published in 2019 i believe so that's another good book the listeners could check out um here's some things i wrote down listeners as i was listening to Catherine. one is and this is really true when i think about my relationship with the earth it is to be dominated and controlled um that is sort of been my feeling about mother earth to be honest and i i get little rebukes of the spirit when i do these podcast listeners because to me, that is some of the work I need to do as a Latter-day Saint to see things differently. And I think that's a good thing. And I'm not to the finish line of lots of topics, in fact, all topics in my mortal journey, but that is the way I've looked at Mother Earth, probably. Um, and so when you then transition to how do I look at women, I don't think I look at women quite like that. But there's some parallels there that are, would call, will cause me to reflect on my morning walk for the next week about what sort of mentality have I had with Mother Earth that has been dominated, controlled, um, that has bled into my relationship with women that needs to improve. Um, so I love that. I loved, um, there's a lot of people with anxiety and depression, and I don't think either of us are saying don't go to a therapist, but... I do recognize when I'm outside in nature, Catherine, it does heal me in some way. It disconnects me from the world. And there is something about being up in the canyons of Utah where both of us can go or wherever our listeners can go, the disconnect that can help with anxiety and depression. Um, So that was really helpful for me. But one of the things that I just love is just your personal story. It is a unique story. I would guess if I talked to your graduation roughly 20 years ago from high school, the seeds of what you're doing now were there. Um, but I, I don't know if you thought you'd be an author um, and writing about these important subjects. And that probably gives perspective to younger people. Just talk about that for a second. Your life is um, different, perhaps, than you thought it would be. Tell all, Share with our listeners about the last 20 years. Yeah, I I think I always had a strong sense of identity and a strong sense that creative pursuits like writing and being in the wild and and sort of listening, doing a lot of listening <laughs> to myself and to others and to the world was very important. Um, but I, it really hasn't been until this moment, like, like you alluded to, that I've seen how all of these steps and all of these dots have connected. Um, and, and I just feel like it's so important at a young age to really have that time with yourself, to like feel out who you are and to 
not get swept up in what's popular or what's, you know, what people are telling you is important or culturally what you should be expected to do or, and to really listen to your inner voice because we all have it. We all have, I mean, we can talk about the spirit, we can talk about the light of Christ, but sometimes we think about that as external when, as I've sort of learned and, and engaged more and, and just sort of come more into myself, I guess I see those things as the same, like my heart space, my divine essence, who I am. Talking about that as separate from the spirit doesn't make sense anymore. And so having the experience of listening to that heart space and saying, what, what do I need to do to honor my authenticity, I think is an important exercise. And being alone in nature is an incredible way of, of accessing that as well as um, and many, many other activities. Um, so whatever sort of is the thing that calls to you, like definitely pursue it. Like if it's music, if it's writing, if it's um, running, you know, whatever it is where you can sort of be in this meditative space. Because we have so many voices calling to us all the time and we don't even realize it. There's so many, I would call them spirits that are vying for our attention. And sometimes it's very subtle and sometimes we, we listen a little bit and we give like room a little bit and a little bit. And these voices try to integrate themselves with us and to tell us who we are when, um, and if we're not, I don't think if we're active, if we're not actively engaging and being proactive about saying, wait a minute, who am I really? And that's part of our practice that I think we do so well as Latter-day Saints, where we take the moment to pray or to study or to just be contemplative. Um, we can get swept up in that. And I've definitely had periods of my life where I have been, where, you know, I've listened too much to to sort of those external voices saying what I need to care about or what I need to pursue. And so I, it sort of is like this beautiful gift that when you, you know, there's obviously room for, for learning and growing and moving outside of the path you should be on and recognizing and then coming back, like the coming back is the mercy, like the coming back is one of the most beautiful aspects I think of our mortal journey, because that's when we sense God's love, I think most profoundly, but if we keep returning and we keep hearkening and we keep listening, um, we all have those points on our path. I think that take us to something grander, um, and, uh, beautiful that we could imagine. And there's so much gratitude and, and grace and, acknowledgement inside of us of oh god was with me all along and there was this like vision that i could never have entertained that was always there and you know as you move step by step things do open up there is a greater idea of what's in store and what things could be like and and who god is like that just line by line sort of opens up and and I think that's the power of the restored gospel. I think that's the power that, that the young people of the church have is like, if we can really believe that um, our individual, our very individualized paths are sacred, 
and our stories are sacred. And you do a fantastic job of this with this pat with this podcast of letting in like the individual story sit and be heard and be sung and be seen. Um, that we all have greater access thanks to this podcast of what those what those paths potentially could look like and how they're all God, how they're, they're all manifestations of, of what is divine and what is human coming together and working and working it out and, um, and the ways in which we're supported. And so, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't feel like my story is unique necessarily. I feel like um, it's a pattern. It's probably like a pattern, like the book, <laughs> like that there is this, this, this path and this way of uniting the feminine and the masculine um, that will bring a greater wholeness to all of our individual stories. I'm just glad that you've done what you've done. And I, you're still young in my eyes because I'm way older and um, I don't think this is the end of what you're going to do. I don't want to put any pressure on you because you've just accomplished something <laughs> wonderful. But I would guess in your the way God talks to you, our heavenly parents, you will continue to feel impressions on how you can continue to write and share and help create Zion. I love the word Zion. To me, Zion is not sameness. Zion is unity in common causes. And one of those common causes is we're unified is to is Mother Earth. And I've got some kids that have helped me understand um, their hope that our faith does more for Mother Earth um, as part of creating Zion. Because creating Zion to me, then I've always thought about the city of Enoch, that one of the things we know is that there was no poor among them. So their unity allowed them to accomplish things that lifted the burdens of others. And I've, in my mind, thought about what we could do as a unified Zion, um, unity and purpose versus taking all of our beautiful differences to help things like Mother Earth and to help better value the voices of women. Um, talk about Latter-day Saints that wish our faith did more for Mother Earth or did more for women. There are a lot of people, and you know would know this, that um, it's difficult for them and I just, they wish our church was doing more to elevate the voices of women or doing more for Mother Earth. And they perhaps see, they have holy envy sometimes where they see, to use Michael Wilcox's first person that shared that term with me, they have holy envy and maybe he's not the author of that. Um, maybe it's Margaret Barker for all I know, but <laughs> holy envy when you see something in another faith, you wish your own faith was doing better. and. So any thoughts just on how listeners that sort of want to figure out a way to stay in our church, but wish we were doing more in some areas? I don't know if you feel that way or just want to give advice for people that need maybe some of the tools and perspectives that you have. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Um, I always think of being anxiously engaged in a good cause. Um, I. I think part of maybe the maturing process that I'm, that I've gone through or that I'm continuing to, to move through is expecting less from the institution and more from myself. And so if I want to see 
my community care about nature and the land, like I need to get involved and I need to reach out and I need to do my part and start small and be an example and to speak out. Um, I think we're pretty notorious for not wanting to engage in conflict. <laughs> Agreed. But we need, I think we need to get over that. I think that's part of coming to Zion is talking about things and discussing things and, and like figure out, figuring out what is an acceptable way to engage and what is not. And you can't do that if you don't practice. Right. So having the space to say, Hey, like, these are some things that matter. Let's talk. And maybe it's outside of a formal church setting. Maybe it's setting aside a night a month where people are interested saying, Hey, there's this thing that we could do, or there's, you know, there's people who, who care about the Jordan river, for example, or there's people who care about this area that needs cleanup or whatever it is. And just like gauge interest. And also there's just so many ways. And I know everyone's limited in time, but, you know, prioritizing those things that matter most. And for me right now, like the earth is a huge, I mean, it's a huge priority and I feel like it should be a huge priority for everyone because it is our home. And we have this unique doctrine that says that it will be our celestial home. So how are we treating it now? <laughs> and incredibly from DNC, the earth is living a celestial law. So what can it teach us, those who are not living a celestial law? Like, what does that mean? And what, what can we learn? There's just this, a d- degree of humility in approaching the earth that um, would really serve us. So I, I personally, you know, I've been through periods of great anger and frustration and wanting to leave and being this close to leaving and then realizing, Hey, I'm not going anywhere. This is, I am part of the body of Christ. I'm not leaving. Like the institution can do its thing, but that's not the heart beat and pulse of the gospel. It's not, it's a separate thing. So we need everyone at the table, everyone. We need all the diversity, like you said, like nature crumbles when it loses its diversity. We are a part of nature. We need that diversity. We need everyone's perspective and we need to come together. And um, I think in, I think in that union, I, it, it feels to me like bringing that the sorrows that we carry together is how we, we learn how to love and how we create Zion and how Zion forms as an emergent quality. It's something that comes into fruition because of our desire to love each other. And we're not going to have access to what it is until we prove that we're willing to do that. And I think the earth is just, it's, it's all one, right? Like we're not separate from the earth. Zion is a part of that union, that part of that vision. So um, I think it's very, it's a natural uh, extension of a desire for Zion to want the best for the earth. It's a really good segment, Catherine. I, I'm glad I asked you that question. I figured you could handle it. 
and you gave a terrific answer. And um, you have some wonderful language, like the sorrows we carry together. You know, that just, I don't know if that's ever written down anything you've written or just comes naturally to you. You have a gift of language. Well, thank this, you. And this deep, empathetic, um, that's part of your soul and part of your mission. Um, I've, I, nature, I love your parallels between what we're trying to complicate, accomplish as a church and nature. And actually, you've gone one step further and sort of brought those into the same Zion is our relationship with nature. But I love the diversity you talk about in nature, and nature needs diversity to be able to, and that is Mother Earth, and she values diversity um, to make this Mother Earth. I love you reminding our listeners and me of our doctrine around this is celestial home. Um, we have unique restored doctrine that sort of helps me um, stay a member of the church and um, heavenly parents that love us. Um, I'm a son of heavenly parents, a heavenly mother and a heavenly father and a mother earth. And this will be our celestial home. Um, those are beautiful, um, doctrine. I'm not sure they're completely unique to our faith. Um, and you may know that for sure. A celestial home that may be unique to our faith or not. I don't know if you want to comment any of that. You know, I don't know that I know enough to say for sure, <laughs> but I think the way that we, I think the the way that we do have it framed is unique um, in the sense of the earth living a celestial law and our understanding of what that is. And um, yeah, yeah. So I, like I, I, I think in that sense, we're, we're very much um, poised to be the greatest advocates for um, a, a loving in a relationship with the earth because it is a relationship. I love you separating sort of the institutional of the church, which um, is something I like separating things in my life that I can't control. And that's basically one of the things you did is you talked about things you can't control and things you can control. And I think that's a great principle to sort of eliminate anxiety. And my grandpa used to talk about that. And he used to draw us a circle of the things we can control, the things we can influence, and the things we have no control over. And in reality, we have no control over the institution of the church. Um, and, but we do have, and that's fine. That's, I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying that's the way it works. And I support and sustain our leaders and their mantle for our entire church. Um, but we do have control for our community and what we can do on an individual basis. And I think both of us would just invite listeners to act on the impressions. Don't necessarily do this my way or Catherine's way, but I think act on the impressions. That's one of the things I love about Catherine's stories. I've never met anybody like Catherine until right now that, you know, was sort of um, in creative spaces, if that's the right language in high school, and has then continued to feed those seeds. Um, that's the parable of the talents is nurturing our talents and using our God-given talents to bless the lives of others. And you are doing that with this book you've written and your poetry and your voice and this wonderful, compassionate voice that is a voice I wish were on cable TV. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> you're not exactly a bomb thrower and cable TV ratings seem to go up by the bombs they throw to the other side. And it just increases the stress and anxiety and 
that doesn't mean put our head in the sand and not be informed, but there's so much bomb throwing going on and mm-hmm. divisiveness that that is not how you're wired. And that's how, that's the kind of um, voices we need in society. Um, but I think one of the things, if you're a younger listener that's wondering about your place in the church and some of these issues, perhaps the things that Catherine shares are helpful. I think I'd also invite you if you're, we're the parents of six kids and some of our kids, like in junior high, you just knew what they would be doing as adults. You just could see their skills and their path. And maybe it was even easier for men because our sons, we knew their careers wouldn't change if they got married and our daughters were trying to navigate that as they got married. But so some of you may be kind of in the path that Catherine's in where you may have, if I talked to you in high school, I said, Catherine, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? You say, I'm not sure. Um, but I think a lot of people may just have some impressions of what they're going to do, but not exactly know how that's going to work out. And maybe that's true of creative people because they're so good at so many different areas. They don't quite know how that's going to play out in their life path. And I love what you, I just love your personal story in the middle of this podcast of what you put together is your very unique personal story. Um, and I think it's good for younger listeners to just hear stories. If you're feeding a lot of fog in your path and not quite sure how it's going to work out, you know, don't write Catherine's story, but take the principles that Catherine, it's a very unique, personal, personal revelation, drowning out some of the voices around you saying, this is how you live Catherine's life. No, I'm going to live Catherine's life this way. And I'm secure enough in myself even if I've got these voices that seem to be more mature or more thoughtful or older or even male, we hope we don't value male voices more than female voices, um, prescriptive voices saying, this is how you do it. I just sense you've had enough um, self-awareness to write your own story. So I don't know if you want to comment any more of that. I'm projecting a little bit on you. I don't know if it's accurate or not. (laughs) No, I, I, um, I appreciate that. I, I know it's different for everyone. And so in terms of when you begin to feel like you have a grasp on who you are and what you want and where you're going, um, it's just very different for everyone. I think different personalities uh, tend more towards introspective and and some people rely more on validation than other people, external validation. And so it can look very different, but I, I feel strongly that we all have that, like I mentioned before, that, that heart center, that heart space inside of us that is really always speaking, but it, it really requires attention and quiet. Uh, to for us to really engage and to know what it's saying, and sometimes that can be very painful, right? There's there's individuals who deal with a lot of trauma as young children, and that can make it either very vital to access that space quickly for survival's sake, or it can make it um, very difficult because the pain of reality, what what your life is versus what your heart wants it to be can be too much to deal with. So there's a lot of 
different ways in which um, individuals perhaps have to navigate that. And, but I just, I believe with all my heart that um, God is inside us in that sense, that that heart space is our divine expression and our divine wish and our, and our greatest hopes and our greatest sense of, of wisdom that we each have the capacity to tap into who we are on a larger scale, on a greater frame with greater vision that we're all limited. Um, our vision is limited no matter where we are and what we know on this earth. And that the miracle of the divinity in us is that we can tap into a greater vision of what, of who we are and where we're going. And that that is true sustenance. That's the only thing that will heal whatever holes we have inside or whatever feels like it's missing or whatever feels like it's broken. That's the only thing that will heal us. And so trust the getting rid of distractions, trust the getting rid of voices that are outside of you are not going to be it. Trust that communion with God is the only thing that can bring you joy and bring you into a centered and peaceful state of existence, no matter what is going on outside of you and around you. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I just, I don't think so. I'm just grateful for this time with you and thank you for um, listening, Richard, and for the space that you've created. It's just beautiful. I, I spoke to a few friends about doing this interview with you and having this time and they just all raved about how much <laughs> they love um, your episodes and the, the kindness and the, the gentleness that you bring to these conversations. So I just want to say thank you for creating that space. Thank you, Catherine. You're very kind. And this has been spiritually moving for me, listeners. I, I hope that your voice in our faith community grows. Um, I hope more men and women hear the things that you have written and the things in your heart. Um, you help us grow and you help us create Zion. I, the thought came to my mind, I wish you could come teach Elders Quorum. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but, Love that, and I would be terrified. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just kind of my creative mind thinking, you know, we have these nice tidy boxes, but um, it's sometimes, you know, we've had a couple women teach Elders Quorum over the years in our ward, and I, I just share that, listeners, because often we get in these nice tidy boxes, but um, we miss the chance to learn perhaps some voices that aren't in our nice tidy box as we're in our silos. And so, um, Catherine Knight Sontag, thank you. Thank you for your work. Um, I'm so glad you've been on the podcast and just your gentle heart, your wonderful words. Um, this is a podcast more than I thought it would be. I thought it would be about um, Divine Mother, but it's a much broader mission that you have and a much broader scope. That's part of it, an important part of it. Um, and I love where you've taken me in this podcast and our listeners. So you have a gift in our community. And um, this is so listeners, we will link to two things in the show notes, Catherine and also the Amazon book. 
Um, once again, the book is called The Mother Tree, Discovering the Love and Wisdom of Our Divine Mother. So thank you, Catherine Knight Sontag and Richard Osler, signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.